Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. I mean, there's a wonderful rabbinical fable about uh, the fact that when we arrive after our earthly lives are older at, at the gates to heaven, uh, one of the questions we will be asked by the angels of God on God's behalf will be, did you enjoy my world? Joe Lieberman represented the people of Connecticut in the United States Senate for 24 years between 1989 and 2013. He was the Democratic candidate for vice president in 2000 on the ticket with Al Gore, winning the popular vote, but not the electoral vote. He worked, in a way that has become rare these days, across party lines for the common good, and enjoyed the respect and admiration of many Republicans, most notably his dear friend John McCain. Somehow, during this career, he also found time to write seven books, including his 2011 The Gift of Rest, Rediscovering the Beauty of the Sabbath, which is about this shared tradition of Jews, Christians, and also Muslims, and is the book that we are talking about today on Almost Good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics, about religion, history, and culture. I'm your host, Chris Odinitz, and I get to ask interesting people who have thought about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this format in relationship and dialogue and back and forth may help us approach the truth and have a really good time doing it. Should you want to take the conversation a step further, I invite you to please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. My guest today is Senator Joe Lieberman, who was a United States Senator from 1989 to 2013 for the state of Connecticut. He was the nominee for the Democratic Party for vice president in 2000 and ran with Al Gore. He ran for his party's nomination in 2004. Though later an independent who endorsed his friend John McCain for president, he continued to caucus with the Democratic Party and remained chairman of the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. In recent elections, he endorsed Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. Senator Lieberman is a devout and observant Jew. And today we are talking about his book, The Gift of Rest, Rediscovering the Beauty of the Sabbath. Welcome, Senator. Thanks, Chris. Great to be with you. I love the title, Almost Good Catholics. Is that what it is? That's this right. Re- it- this reminds me of a joke among uh, Jews sometimes. They'll ask, is a, is a restaurant or is this wine kosher? And I have one friend whose answer is, kosher enough. <laughs> I have a story for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a real story, and it's in the spirit of uh, the, the Catholic Jewish dialogue that we're about to have. So in uh, 2008, I took a trip with my friend John McCain. Uh, we went to Latin America, Central America. We went to Mexico and in Mexico City, and this was the great thing about John. He, he didn't just want to visit um, the, the government leaders. He wanted to see things that were of significance, cultural, religious, whatever. Anyway, uh, in pursuit of that, we went to the Basilica of the Virgin Mary of Guadalupe, which is a really important 
uh, church, I was told to, to Latin Catholics particularly. Anyway, we're going through, we're uh, guided by a, a priest who turns out to be very charismatic. And um, at one point, John obviously is worried that the priest is speaking too much about the Virgin Mary, about me and my sensitivity. <laughs> so he says, Father, Father, I, I don't know whether you know, but Senator Lieberman is Jewish. And the priest, without hesitating, says, Oh, that's wonderful. So was the Virgin Mary. <laughs> A real ecumenical story. Okay, go ahead with your yeah. question. Yeah, well, let's talk about uh, the Sabbath, something that um, all Jews and Christians are commanded to observe. And I'm not sure about Muslims, but I know that their holy day is Friday and that, you know, they don't, right. they spend a lot of it at the mosque. I'm not sure exactly what those rules are, but I know they they share the same Abrahamic tradition and Mosaic law and so have the same commandments. Um, would you tell us a bit about uh, where the Sabbath comes from and um, how it works? I often hear the commandment, remember the Sabbath, but other times I hear it as keep holy the Sabbath. Right. Um, well, the, the uh, Sabbath commandment comes from uh, the Bible. Uh, there are certain sort of references to it before uh, the Ten Commandments are given on Mount Sinai to Moses, really to, to not just to the, the children of Israel, but as I was always instructed to the world, uh, our, our part of our responsibility that is the, the Jews who accepted it and later generations is to transmit uh, it to the world. And, and the observance of Sabbath is um, right there as a commandment. And, and incidentally, it, it's articulated uh, twice in the, uh, the commandments in the um, Bible and the Hebrew Bible. And uh, it, there are different words used in, in uh, the two cases, and the, the two words generally are remember and safeguard, remember mm. and protect. And, and one articulation of the commandment is that it's all about uh, honoring and thanking God for creation, without which we would not be here. But the second, interestingly, is to follow God's commandment to observe the Sabbath, to uh, remember and in a, some sense to affirm that uh, God took the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And there's a larger message there that God um, acts through history. The other thing I always like to point out about the uh, commandment to observe the Sabbath is that it's one day a week. And the other part of the commandment is work really hard those other six days, uh, articulated in various ways. We can each, I suppose, give our interpretation, but but the Bible seems to tell us, and the rabbis agree, that, that working hard means uh, taking every opportunity we can to honor God's name, to glorify God's name, to improve the world uh, that, that God created for us. And um, also, uh, this is implicit in the commandments, but uh, is articulated by the rabbis, which is we should enjoy the world. I mean, there's a wonderful rabbinical fable about uh, the fact that when we arrive after our earthly lives are older at, at the gates to heaven, uh, one of the questions we will be asked by the angels of God on God's behalf will be, did you enjoy my world? Mm -hmm. So um, there's a wonderful Hebrew word that uh, is part of our, our liturgy on the Sabbath, um, which is vayinofash, which means that um, 
God, as God rested on the seventh day, God observed the first Sabbath after creating the world, which was quite an accomplishment. And uh, and then the wonderful word by by Inofash, which means and was refreshed, hmm. uh, and that's that's a kind of pleasure which we all should aspire to on the Sabbath, which is just plain sort of tranquil tranquility, using a more modern vernacular, recharging our batteries, giving ourselves a break uh, from everything we try to do in the preceding six days before we commence the next the six days to come that's all yeah. your problem as an interviewer here is that i have too much to say about the sabbath so not at all. <laughs> don't, don't hesitate to break in not at all so um the the book is organized uh as it takes us through the sabbath you, you walk us through the holy day of rest from preparation to conclusion um and it's a delight because we who are from a different tradition kind of get to see behind the scenes and how it works is occasionally we just see these things on, you know, in, in movies or, um, Stiesel, my favorite Netflix show right. about, uh, <laughs> Israel. Um, would you walk us through in, in just general terms, how you prepare for, for, for one thing, I found that the preparation that happens all week long is, is as significant as the actual, um, yeah, yeah. It's, um, uh, really, we're instructed to think about getting ready for the Sabbath all week, week long. There's a wonderful um, story about a rabbi um, oh, hundreds of years ago who, when he went to the market shopping, for instance, would buy something special, a piece of fruit or uh, whatever, and save it for the Sabbath. Um, and uh, Most of us don't do that, uh, to be honest, but, but we all, all, all are one way or another, looking forward to the Sabbath. The, the work begins uh, when I, in the home in which I grew up, first my grandmother's house where we lived for eight years, first eight years of my life, and then uh, our house when she moved with us. It, it began on Thursday night, really actively, when um, the challah bread, the twist bread that um, we uh, say a prayer of grace over for, uh, Friday night dinner, Saturday lunch, uh, uh, was be begun to be made, at least the dough was prepared, made the next day. Um, uh, the, a lot of the cooking uh, goes on, shopping goes on uh, on Friday. Uh, there's something in its way very sensate or even sensual, sensuous about the preparation for the Sabbath. Um, for instance, I have the, I, the most uh, intense memories of walking into... Um, my grandmother's house during that first eight years or our house uh, after that on a Friday afternoon coming home from school and the house smelled different. Well, it was food cooking and it was uh, delicious. And uh, my, my mother was somewhat permissive. So I, uh, uh, my wife, when I, she saw me first do this after we got married, chastised me. <laughs> but uh, it was okay with my mother to go over to one of the pots on the oven, pick up the lid. Oh, wow, chicken soup or meat or uh, a, a noodle pudding or whatever. Uh, so, uh, and and, uh, and the, one of the other ways we prepare, there is a tradition, it's not stated in the Bible, but became a tradition, uh, which is that the man of the house, if there is one, um, uh, goes out and buys flowers uh, for the Sabbath table I'll tell you a funny story. 
Mm -hmm. Once, uh, when I was in the Senate, uh, you know, we'd leave the Senate chamber, go down to the basement to catch a little subway over back to our office in the Hart building. And the press gathered there because they knew that we could, they could catch us. So once from one of the uh, Capitol Hill newspapers, uh, a reporter stopped me and said, you know, we're doing a story, it was February about Valentine's Day. And I'm, I'm asking all the senators, how often do you buy your wife flowers? So I said, oh, once a week. Really? I said, well, <laughs> I, I, I have to explain. I do it. And, and I told the story about association with the Sabbath. So uh, she wrote the article and declared me to be by far the most romantic member of the U.S. Senate. <laughs> now, that was not quite right. Yeah. But uh, the idea of the flowers uh had a meaning that actually uh, it, it meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to my wife and i think hopefully it set a, a standard a kind of a model for our children well and in addition one of the beautiful themes in your in your book is the celebration of the intimacy of marriage as uh, yeah. part, part of the whole tradition and i i love how sometimes your audience here and there was surprised when you would when you would share this with them and for me it was an occasion of delight and humor but you know for some people perhaps blushing so what is it about sex and the physical act of love and the intertwining yeah. of like um body and souls together that reflects the pursuit of god uh and god's people the, the people of god by by their creator many times you refer back to the song of songs uh in right. in your book and um Christians, I'm sure you know, often refer to the church as the bride of Christ. And so there's really no other relationship like this in the world. What do you, what do you think, Senator? Yeah, I, I want to pick up that last uh, comment uh, because it's, uh, I read that in one of the uh, memos you sent me, preparation. I, I thought it was uh, beautiful. And I had never made that connection between Judaism and Christianity, but um we sing uh, at the Friday night service a beautiful um, melody. To, uh, uh, it's called in Hebrew "Lochado Di," and it was written uh, by the by the more sort of mystical rabbis who uh, uh, lived and taught in a place in northern Israel called Sfat. Um, uh, and they were they were um, the, from there. A lot of the Kabbalah and the Kabbalists uh, emerged. But the the um, uh, stanza that repeats itself is um, and and Sfat is a hilly city, so they would go out and the rabbi and, and his followers and sing the song as they walked in preparation, ending up at the synagogue. And one of the lyrics is uh, in the in the uh, chorus, you might say. Uh, is uh, let us go out and meet the Sabbath bride. So there's a clear belief, uh, uh, the metaphor that the Sabbath is a bride and that um, we are coming together with the bride on the, uh, on the Sabbath day. So the, the, uh, the encouragement for uh, couples to be together sexually on Sabbath, again, is not in the Hebrew Bible, but it, it um, emerged from actually from rabbinical interpretations and encouragement that um, in many ways, one, it was a day when you had more time, when, when it was a day honoring uh, God's creation. So uh, what, what better way to uh, come together with your spouse and uh, perhaps be involved actually literally in a procreative 
uh, act, but also it symbolized the kind of love that is supposed to um, dominate the day. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, it, I, I actually thought two or three times and consulted with my wife before I included references uh, to this aspect of the Sabbath, but uh, it is there and it is taken seriously by uh, observant uh, uh, Jewish uh, couples. So when um, uh, one of my friends read the Sabbath book, who was not Jewish, he said that he liked that so much that he was thinking of converting to Judaism. <laughs> But only for the Sabbath. That's right. Was that was that uh, Chris Dodd, the, your colleague? <laughs> well, that was another Chris Dodd. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> Chris Dodd uh, used to be jealous when uh, we'd be somewhere in Connecticut on a Friday afternoon. And he knew I was going home and he knew that he had to go on to uh, three or four more events that I would normally go to with him. And that's when he said to me, I'm thinking of converting to Judaism, but only for the Sabbath. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to remain Catholic for the other days. That's great. No, and I and I, I think it's very beautiful and also so important that that people of faith talk about sex uh, quite uh, freely, especially because if we don't, the only message that our children will get about sex is what they see on TV, which is not really what we it, want. It, exactly, yeah. or that it's somehow bad or dirty, which, right. which of course is not meant that isn't. So. Right, Thank you. Right. For that. Thanks for asking the question. Yeah. And in general, I very much appreciate how ecumenical the book is and your friendship with Father uh, Dillian and your participation in the Seder with, with the Gore family. And there's a lovely story where you helped uh, Sarah Palin in her hour of self-doubt and, you know, we're able to speak to her as a person of faith um, because, you know, we, we monotheistic people, Jews, Christians, Muslims together are half the world's population. And, uh, we got to find a way to talk about, you know, God um, to everybody else. Uh, so do you feel that uh, America is, I mean, church attendance, I, I wonder if the same thing is true of synagogue attendance and so on. If, if we're in trouble, um, where, where do we stand at the national debate? I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I'm a great, I mean, to me, um, uh, the three great monotheistic faiths, have so much in common from our origins, believe in one God, believe in um, um, the, the fatherhood of Abraham, our father, and accept the uh, Ten Commandments, really. Um, but uh, too often in the past, uh, religion has been a source of uh, conflict, and it still is in some places. In America, we manage uh, through the, I think, the wisdom and, and in a way, uh, um, brilliance, uh, of the founders who were all Christians, uh, mostly Protestants, maybe there were one or two Catholics at that time. And um, they created a, this a profound uh, First Amendment, <laughs> no establishment of religion, freedom of religion. Fascinatingly, they went one step forward, and often not remembered. Um, th there's a provision in the, in the Constitution that says that there can never be a religious qualification for holding public office. In other words, even though they were all Christian, even though uh, Christians were then the vast majority and remain the majority now, uh, they, they, they wanted this to be truly an open uh, place. And it, it worked uh, for most of our history. And it, in some ways, the vibrancy of the idea of the monotheistic uh, face linking uh, was expressed in these so-called Abraham Accords of just a few years ago, where 
three or four of the Arab Muslim countries did join with Israel and the United States, in a sense, being a Christian participant, uh, and the accords that really brought the, the Middle East closer to a kind of peace. Now I've forgotten the exact question you asked me, Chris. I was about the where we are as a country as ah, okay. our spirituality Great. and monotheism going forward. So it's 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 a mixed picture. Um, I always like to say that if you look at public opinion polls, God is still running way ahead of many uh, political leader, living or dead. <laughs> so that's encouraging. Uh, it, there's an interesting in the last poll I saw, uh, and these are not political. It's pure Gallup. The last poll, more than 90% of Americans believe in a so-called higher authority. More than 80% believe in the one God of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Um, but there's no question also that um, the number of people uh, in America that attend a, um, a house of worship uh, regularly, let's say once a week, is, is down. Uh, uh, you asked about what's the situation in the uh, Jewish community, and it's it's quite mixed. There are uh, three major divisions, uh, religious denominations among Jews. The Orthodox, or the, I'd say in some sense the most uh, religiously or, or um, ritualistically observant. Conservatives are sort of in the middle and the reform that are, that are less ritualistically, but very much involved in the ethics of Judaism. And there's another movement called Reconstructionists, which is similar to reform, but not, not totally founded by the great Rabbi uh, Mordecai Kaplan. It, I would say that the statistics seem to show, interestingly, that the Orthodox community membership and attendance at religious services is going up. And the number of people who attend weekly services is also up. The, the middle group, the centrist group, you might say the conservatives are having a problem. They're losing members and regular attendance. The reform group, which is uh, more progressive and more oriented toward Jewish ethics, et cetera, also Jewish history, holding its own pretty well. So it's a mixed uh, picture. But, and I, I think it's something, the overall reduction in the number of people going regularly to houses of worship is a, a source of concern to me. And uh, it's not in a sort of parochial uh, if you're not uh, religious, you're not going to be a good American. Uh, that's in, inconsistent with the First Amendment. But I always uh, remember and quote probably too often the words that President Washington spoke in his farewell address in, uh, oh, I forgot, 1796, 1798, in which he said that uh, a kind of warning to future generations, don't ever indulge, I'm paraphrasing, in the supposition that America will remain a uh, good country without the, and a moral country without the force of religion, because it's one of the best sources, non-governmental, since we're not gonna have a, a country that will tell people what to do at every moment. We believe in freedom, that religion is a source of, of good behavior. And I, I think his insight is accurate. So um, I actually have been thinking about writing something that is an appeal uh, to religious leaders of the, of the three monotheistic faiths at least and more, and also to members of Congress, that we, we really could use a religious awakening in this country again. We've had them in the past around abolition and social justice uh, concerns about child labor and the rest, the early part of the last century, but we need one now to bring people back 
to faith-based values that are really lacking in our society today and creating the incivility, the division uh, in the society and politically and the, and the really disrespectful way in which people and politics treat each other and, and the meaning that so little gets done in the government and then the public, uh, the citizens get uh, cynical and angry. So I, I think uh, we've tried a lot to, to create a more unity and problem solving in our government and maybe uh, a healthy dose, not mandated, but mm -hmm. encouraged from different places, a, a different kind of religious awakenings. Historians, I guess, would say this would be the fourth or fifth religious awakening in our history. We, we can use it now because we're there's a lot of a lot lacking for a lot of people in our country, which I think religion uh, can can fill that gap. No, amen. Uh, I and um, it happens that a couple hours ago I recorded a, a discussion with a Catholic priest who went to Wilmore, Kentucky, where there is a, a bit of a revival happening that I read about in the New York Times. And I, yeah, me too. A, that was fascinating. Yeah, and it's a bunch of kids who were depressed and anxious and uh, fragmented in their attention and their spirit by their telephones and the pandemic and everything else. And they got together and they sang songs and they they felt closer to God and closer to each other. So it's a um, this may happen exactly as you predict. I, I hope so. I was really encouraged by that. Um, yeah. Well, um, part of the Sabbath tradition is how communal it is, that the whole community, just as these kids are in Kentucky, the whole community is doing this, which I think makes it easier for each individual to do it. Uh, right now, we Catholics are doing Lent, so we've all given up you know, some little luxury to bring us uh, to mortify the flesh a little bit. It could be dessert, it could be alcohol, it could be television. Um, right. But it's the sort of thing, since we're all doing it, um, I can't just say like, oh, I had a long day, forget it, I'm going to have a beer. No, because then I, you know, my kids will know, my wife will know that I've I've, I've failed, and I, I sort of feel that perhaps doing something um, as a Jewish community means, you know, you're not going to pick up the phone unless it's an emergency, even if you're tempted, because you're you're together, you're in the synagogue together, or at shul, or you're you know um, having a communal lunch with your beloved family. What is it about doing things together as a people that um, makes it easier and uh, more rewarding than as an individual doing some kind of practice? It's a great question, and I think it is one of the um, most appealing aspects of Sabbath observance, uh, even though we talk more about the commandment and the way in which the rabbis interpreted over the years. I mean, it's a somewhat arcane, you might say, almost uh, imposed system, but uh, uh, over time, there's a lot of old jokes about this, which I won't take the time to tell. But, uh, you know, there's a, the, the commandments leave a lot of room for interpretation. What does it mean? And the rabbis of centuries ago, millennia, really developed a system where they listed the 39, the word is malachot, the, the forms of work that were done in the construction, construction of the temple and uh, in Jerusalem where it existed, and then derived from that, that, that that work should not be done. Obviously, there are exceptions. People's lives are on the line, etc. But for instance, one rule is that you're not supposed to create fire on the Sabbath, which the rabbis have interpreted in modern, set, modern setting. I mean, not only should you not turn lights on and off, but you shouldn't drive a car or even ride in a car unless it's a health emergency or something. And uh, I, I give you that a textual uh, introduction, legalistic introduction, because it's led, perhaps this was in the mind 
of the rabbis that wrote those rules to certain restrictions that uh, if you accept the, the idea that you want to observe Sabbath according to the traditional way and not just rely on your own self-discipline, because that's tough. I mean, Saturday's the day, you know, you, you, you stop working Monday to Friday in the U.S. And there's, oh, it's so tempting to <laughs> do other things, uh, drive to the movies, uh, go shopping, et cetera, et cetera. But here it is. The law says you're not supposed to do it. So, But that has real effects that create the rewards of community. For instance, if you can't drive uh, a ride in a vehicle except in an emergency, that means for observant Jews that you've got to live in walking distance of the synagogue. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're immediately, less so in probably in a big city, but even in a big city, you're in a neighborhood where you have a lot of uh, fellow uh, Jews, and uh, that, that in itself creates opportunities to uh, go back and forth for a meal or meet in the afternoon for a study uh, a Bible study group or whatever. And the synagogue itself has a, a social aspect to it. Uh, it's prayer, of course, but you're seeing people who become friends. Uh, most synagogues have a social hour after the, um, uh, the services are over. And it becomes part of the pleasure that you have. I mean, sometimes you can, this is where you can uh, lose your sense of self-discipline within the rules of the Sabbath. For instance, I have at various times had uh, seatmates in a synagogue that are really fascinating conversationalists. And too often uh, we have been talking with each other, not, not about light stuff or foolish stuff, but, and not praying, and that, that you have to uh, try to control that, but, oh, I'll tell you a funny story, which may have been in my Sabbath book, I forgot, but it turned out that in 1998, early 99, when President Clinton was impeached by the House, and the, the Senate tried him, and they put out a series of uh, dates for the trial of the Senate, two of them were on the Sabbath, on Saturday, uh, so I spoke to the majority leader there, and they said, well, they'd do it later if I could go to synagogue earlier. So it turned out, later in the morning, it turned out that my synagogue held an early service, an additional, to the later one, early mass, late mass. So I walked in, and I went to the synagogue, and then I walked on to, to the Senate. So the first Sabbath of the two, I got there, and Bob Carey, who was a senator from Nebraska, and a close friend of mine said, well, wow, what are you doing here? Because I'm supposed to be in synagogue. Oh, I said, I'm lucky they had an early service, Bob. And, and uh, so I was able to go on my way in. And not only that, they had a little social hour afterward. And I had enough time to stay and have a piece of cake and a, and a shot of scotch. And he looked at me and, he looked at me and said, can I go with you next week? Yeah. <laughs> so he said, I can't think of a better way to prepare, prepare for an impeachment trial of a president than with a shot of scotch. Yeah, <laughs> there you no, go. There you go. That is in your chapter about interrupting the Sabbath. It uh, is. And you also have a story where your wife uh, broke her wrist and um, mm. of course she rode in the ambulance. And then you have one where Lindsey Graham was calling because he wanted to back out of a bill that you you gentlemen were working on. Yeah. And, so in each of those cases, and, uh, and really... Many Orthodox or observant Jews would not have done what I did, but I felt a certain latitude. So when my wife slipped on the ice and broke her wrist on the way from uh, synagogue on a 
cold day in Washington, I just thought, wow, what am I going to do? Put her in an, in an ambulance and then uh, just run alongside. It just didn't make sense. So I, I got in. And then with Lindsay, it was a really, it, uh, we had a sort of a, 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 tri a trio of John Kerry and me and Lindsay on a climate change bill. And it was got a lot of attention because it was bipartisan. And to a certain extent, like within the Democratic Party, John was, Kerry was more liberal. I was more moderate or centrist. Uh, but Lindsay was under a lot of pressure because he had already stepped out on other stuff. And I heard the, I left, I always uh, tried to leave the answering machine on so I could hear what was calling. And he called me and I heard his voice say, I really got to talk to you. And I thought, you know what? I got to pick it up. And uh, he said, I, I, uh, I just have to pull off this bill. And I understood, but I'm glad I talked to him. I tried a little bit to convince him not to, but anyway, those are the calls you have to make. And I once, uh, uh, sort of, you might say, confessed to use a Catholic uh, idiom to a rabbi that had done this. And he said, you know, it's not for me to pass judgment on you. I, I want to offer you this hope that when you get to the gates of paradise and they look at the list of your transgressions, the ones you've just told me about will probably be <laughs> at the very bottom of the list. <laughs> I said, well, that's good news and bad news, Rabbi. Yeah. What's at the, what's at the top? I said, no, it's not for me to say. <laughs> well, this is very familiar to Christians because uh, Jesus used to get in trouble with the authorities for curing people on the Sabbath. And he would say, you know, even when King David would, would go into the temple and he would take the sacred food for his soldiers, you know, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Yeah, that's a point you make. Yeah, actually, that's a great a point of yeah. uh, contact, and it's why there's a consistency to the fact that if, uh, with all the prohibitions, if somebody is ill, you just don't hesitate. You call the ambulance or the doctor, you, you, you get them there. There's even a, a wonderful little edict in uh, rabbinical uh, rulings on the Sabbath that if... Um, you have the Sabbath lights on because this is an earlier time where people probably ate, lived, slept in the same area. If if the Sabbath lights continue on in a way that disrupts somebody who needs sleep because they're ill, or fascinatingly because they, and I think the term that is, the Hebrew word is translated to melancholia, like they have a mental illness, or because it may attract the attention of robbers, <laughs> <laughs> uh, have the lights on, uh, you're, you're ordered to blow them out. So you have to apply, as, as, the, as Jesus said in the New Testament, the Sabbath is ultimately to respect God, but it's really for a man, for, for people. Yeah, and you say that in your introduction, that the, the Sabbath has sustained the Jewish people, and you say somewhere else that it has sustained you as a senator, because I imagine that is a very busy job. So to be compelled to rest must make you much more effective for the rest of the week. I, I feel it did. You know, people would say to me, including Jews, uh, how could you possibly uh, observe the Sabbath, not work one of seven days a week and be a United States senator? And my answer, paraphrasing a, an Israeli a poet, uh, was um, to say that I don't know how I could be a U.S. senator and do my job as I wanted to do it uh, without resting one day a week. And I always felt that I was able to work harder on the other six days because I knew I had the, the seventh day of rest, family, prayer, 
um, opportunity to just do different things coming. I once years ago saw a bumper sticker in Connecticut <laughs> where it said uh, on a car, relax, the Sabbath is coming. And it's a, ni a nice message. One thing I noticed is that the Sabbath isn't just do fun recreational things. It's literally do less because I have, I'm a parent with four little kids and everybody's right. got something mountain biking or soccer or boy Scouts. Um, but it, you, you are very skillful in saying like, no, we're not doing, I mean, we can play board games. We can read a book, yeah. Yeah. but uh, we're not doing these million because people, you know, we were scattered. We're on our telephones. We're trying to work. We're right. trying to do this and that. Right. Um, how does that no, work in the, it's yeah. an important point. Um, I watched it now uh, more clearly in a way with my grandchildren. And uh, because it's uh, most of the rest of the week, parents are constantly uh, uh, driving them to uh, whatever, sports programs, uh, chess yeah. lessons, uh, dance lessons. It's, it's not that they don't do other things on the Sabbath, but but they, they have to be kind of around the house and so the, the, uh, certainly on a nice day, people go to the park. They uh, may may have a catch. They may go on the uh, swings or or whatever. But uh, it's usually as a family. It follows the the rituals of the day, which is to go to synagogue, come home, have a meal together, which is important. You know, a lot of families, as you know, including for better or worse, observant Jewish families. Life is busy, different schedules. They often don't get together for meals during the week. So um, uh, this is an opportunity Friday night and Saturday. you got to be there. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating, actually. And um, I know many Jews in America in, and a lot in uh, Israel who are not 100% religiously observant. But the Sabbath dinner Friday night is like a, a, a requirement so, um, and, and it is understood in the family, in a lot of these families, that um, you got to be there. I mean, children, grandchildren, even if afterward you go out and do something that is not uh, uh, really permitted by the laws, like you go to the movies or you go to a nightclub or whatever. But uh, so at least it preserves, that's yeah. back to your idea about community and family, which the... Um, what the Sabbath is. So it's, you make a really good point, Chris, which is in some ways, as each of us chooses, the Sabbath is about doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it can be, at least in part. And th that can be wonderful because our weeks are so full of doing some things, including things that are important, valuable, yeah. necessary to earn a living or whatever or to, to try to provide our children or grandchildren with the kind of upbringing that we want them to have. I think that's the perfect uh, last word. The book is called The Gift of Rest. You could read it in an afternoon, perhaps a Saturday afternoon. It's very, uh, it's such a delight. And um, doing nothing is hard as it's aspirational. Um, and there's a lot of hints on what yes. small things we can do to approach the Sabbath, you know? And I wonder... Senator, if you would close us with a with a blessing for our listeners and their families. Oh, what a nice invitation. Well, I pray to God that, that you, Chris, and your family and all who are listening and their, their families find a way to accept the gift of rest that God gives us uh, through the Bible uh, in whatever way works for them. I, I've chosen my way 
to observe it, but it's there are a lot of other ways. Um, I had a, a friend that I quoted at the end of the book uh, who used to go to synagogue and then go to a restaurant and then go to a movie. And uh, uh, the second two parts not uh, normally uh, encouraged or permitted by religious law. But he said to me once, you know, everybody can make their own Sabbath. So my prayer is that everybody take the opportunity to accept the gift in whole or in part to enrich your life and um, uh, to help you not only uh, clear your head from the week that preceded and uh, prepare for the week ahead, both to hopefully live a life that is meaningful and satisfying to you, but that is also enjoyable. So I, I pray that I, I pray that everybody in the words of uh, the Hebrew words has a Shabbat Shalom, uh, a peaceful Sabbath. Amen. Amen. And Thank happy you. birthday. I wanted to say happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Thank, Thank you. Thank God for that, too. My wife. Bye-bye. Chris Odinitz and Senator Joe Lieberman recorded this conversation on Monday, February 27, 2023. Three days earlier, Friday, February 24th, was the senator's 81st birthday. It was also the one-year anniversary of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. So far... The Ukrainians are still standing, and we will keep them in our prayers. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band, www.gscoasterband.com. Our logo comes from the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales, www.english.op.org. And finally, this is the 50th episode of Almost Good Catholics, my little project that has so far seen 100,000 downloads worldwide. It's been a delight to share it with you, and I thank you very much for listening. And I welcome your participation at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com.